Wars. Episode 0034. The original Halloween 1978 versus the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. Knock knock. Who's there? It's ready. Coming to drag you to hell because your cheap ass didn't hand out full size candy bars. La la la, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Wars Podcast, episode 0034. I'm your host, Kyle. Morality sucks. Oh, God, I look 20 years old. I'm Drew. <laughs> you know, guys, I'm just going to stop drinking. I don't feel like it anymore. I'm Phil. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a hack'em, a slash'em evening planned for you today, evening today. Uh, we are doing the original Halloween 1978 versus the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. I have to point out that they are the originals because the originals have been rebooted three and four times each by this point. I have a deep love for the slasher genre. I don't know why, and I I was thinking about that when I, I was preparing why. for the podcast. I think it's the forbidden fruit for me personally because even though my parents were drunken alcoholics whenever we would go to the video store Aardvark Video in Northwest Arkansas is where we used to rent videos and you guys remember uh, this Aardvark, Aardvark Video but they dude they had cinema level popcorn in there like like you love at the movies like and it smelled like it so you'd walk in and just the smell of and they had a popcorn machine and you guys remember this and we talked about it with Silence of the Lambs whenever a new movie came out 50 of the boxes were on the wall and even though my parents were drunks I still wasn't allowed to watch horror movies even though they let me watch Robocop 100 times on repeat. I couldn't watch Freddy Krueger, which is less violent, by the way. The first one, much less violent than RoboCop. But I remember going to the video store when Nightmare on Elm Street 6 came out. Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare is what it's technically called. It had Freddy like lunging through the wall and it kind of had a 3D look and the claws stuck out. And I just remember like I would purposely just go to the horror section knowing I would never get to rent them, but I would just look at the boxes Friday the 13th, Halloween. Was Aardvark Video on Malvern Avenue? Maybe. It was in Springdale. It, it's, it closed well before I even left. I, mean, I might have found it. Maybe it's know. there. Well, hey. <laughs> Did you, you just look it up? Hey. Googled Aard Aardvark Video Arkansas. But I do think there is that forbidden fruit element of it, too. You know, and one thing I think about, like, why do we like horror movies? I always think, like, I literally think this while I'm watching them, like, why do we do this to ourselves? Why do, like, why do we like the, the sadism that comes on, along I'm going to Google that, too. Well, yeah, he's going to Google. So so Phil is going to research why we like horror movies. But This is going to be a very empirical episode. I But I grew really curious, too. It's like, where did the slasher subgenre came from because like when you think about subgenres of bigger genres like slashers are huge and so in my research I, I traced it back 1960 two films came out one Peeping Tom you're going to love this Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> Alfred nobody loves a Peeping Dude, Tom no, like Drew no, no the second part <laughs> other than having a massive video game collection he likes looking in other people's windows <laughs> <laughs> but at I the, don't see how those two things are related but, I'm just going to say but he likes looking at their video games but the film that is consistently referred to as the the film that's responsible for later launching the slasher genre is Psycho, you know, Alfred Hitchcock. One of the reasons they say that is Hitchcock, what he tried to do, whether it was intentional or not, was he was tired of the tropes because horror movies up until Hitchcock were always in, not always, but European castles, wolves, vampires, very traditional Frankenstein tropes. He wanted to I apply- love that shit. Yeah, it's, it's good shit. I mean, Underworld. Yeah. Great movie. Oh yeah, it's good shit. But Hitchcock wanted to bring modern problems and modern situations into horror. And so that's why he transitioned to, uh, transitioned that with Psycho. You fast forward to Halloween. Even though Halloween and Psycho are different, it really is the grandfather to Halloween. And Halloween is really kind of the first slasher film that has the formula, the heroines, the scares, the, the interesting kills. Hmm. But another thing I was thinking about in my research is you have to look at the late 60s through the 80s. One thing that was actually very prevalent in society were serial killers and the coverage of it in the yep. news. Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, uh, the Unabomber, Dahmer. And because it was 
wasn't the internet, the, the newspaper. Unabama, Dama. <laughs> the the Unabama. Are you rapping right now? Yeah, uh, Unabama, Dama. But they, you know, the whole bowl of cereal killers. Uh, <laughs> Cheerios, Lucky Charms. <laughs> They're gonna cause you lots of harm. <laughs> I love you pluralized harm. That was perfect. That was incredible. They're gonna cause you lots of harms. This is a very lighthearted episode. <laughs> They're gonna chop off episode. your arms. <laughs> But when you think back to that time, it's interesting. Whenever you watch documentaries or read about these serial killers, like, you know, Son of Sam, you know, they didn't have ring doorbells. Now you can, for under $100, you can get a video camera hooked up to your doorbell. <laughs> that exact thought. Yeah. Watching both of these movies, like, this would all be foiled <laughs> by the shittiest Amazon purchase of fucking cam doorbell camera. Yeah. Which leads us back into the same conversation we've had. Technology these... kills storytelling. And it Amen. kills people, you know? <laughs> yeah, it does. But, drone attacks. Amazon drone attacks are up, or everybody. in this case, prevents yeah, people prevents, from being killed. Yeah, they kill them in other ways. And movies about Via it being made. social media. <laughs> Bullying. Be aware. But it's crazy, too, to think about in these metropolitan areas where these killers were, people slept with their windows open. HVAC wasn't even really readily available, even though it existed. People in metropolitan areas didn't necessarily always have it. So people during <laughs> this time... You've done your research I know. Yeah. Well, they talk about this with serial killers. HVAC like people, only became prevalent <laughs> in 80% of homes by 1996. But imagine living in New York City and sleeping with your window open you know it's just it's just crazy for me to think about so anyway the people changed their lives dramatically are either of these movies set in new york city no i'm so. just talking about why serial killers i thought you did your research but just <laughs> imagine <laughs> if you lived in new york city and watched these movies just go there for a second then you'd be like man i need to move to Camp crystal lake ah, i can almost smell the trash on the yeah, streets time exactly. to move to haddonfield but that water though is so clean but the but the prevalence of serial killers and their coverage in the news obviously would impact art because it was incessant people were literally changing their life patterns. People wouldn't date as much because they didn't want to like date a guy that might actually mm. be the son of Sam. This kind of sounds like COVID a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. It, that's the kind of scarring and the coverage was so incessant. Every day the front page, new person killed or they caught a guy they think Dude. is David Berkowitz or whatever. What is it? If it if it bleeds, it leads. If it bleeds, whole, and if it bleeds, like, we can kill it. Well, no, that's the whole news thing. Like if mm -hmm. it bleeds, it leads. Like why does all that shit get all the coverage? Well, because it's enthralling. Like people, they'll watch your stupid ABC rehashing of some shit they already knew about 50 times because it is not part of their daily lives and it's interesting. Just like I don't it. believe journalism outlets would ever mani manipulate people to no, get out. No, definitely not. Propaganda never. is They're not nice real. people. They're nice boys. Propaganda has never existed anywhere in the world ever. But tying off this thought, you know, we we really struggled to come up with a matchup last year. We ended up doing Silence of the Lambs in 7, which ended up being great. Oh, that was, that was a year ago? Yeah, what I know. What the fuck? We God damn it, I we hate to things. <laughs> Son of a yeah, yeah, son of Sam. <laughs> son of Sam. David Berkowitz. <laughs> oh, I love it when George and Seinfeld... Is it Berkowitz? Is it Berkowitz? <laughs> but uh, this uh, is not TV Wars. Keep it moving. <laughs> we wanted to do a slasher, but it was hard. It's like people will automatically go... like Kind of like we did Alien vs. Predator because the Alien vs. Predator movie. That's not why we yeah. did it, but people link those two. People link Freddy and Jason, but it's like Halloween 1, the original Nightmare, and the original Friday the 13th are pretty much the best films in all those franchises, but do people want to see Freddy or Michael versus Pam? of worries because Jason's not even really in. I mean, he's in it, but he's a dead boy. He's not yet a killer. So it's like, well, what do we pick? Dead and boy. what this really came down to is we have two directors that are going to go down as two of the greatest directors of all time. Wes Craven's dead, so he probably is already on the way, but Wes Craven had already done uh, The Hills Have Eyes, The Last House on the Left before A Nightmare on Elm Street, and then after he did The First Nightmare on Elm Street and then did a New Nightmare in the 90s, uh, which is kind of the re-up kind of self-critique of the horror genre, then he does Scream and introduces Nev Campbell, the Scream series, so he's responsible for some of the most influential uh, horror franchises ever. John Carpenter only had one film under his belt at this time, but then he 
would go on to make The Thing, which is a sci-fi horror classic with Kurt Russell. And then he would go on to do Escape from New York with Kurt Russell, Escape from Los Angeles, you know, Escape from Your Mom's House, Escape from David Berkowitz. Well, did you see The Thing was referenced in Halloween? It was on the TV. It was what the kids were watching. Oh, uh, good catch. When they looked across the street and saw Myers carrying the woman from the laundry room into the house or whatever. Yeah, those are my opening thoughts. What are your impressions, Drew? I had seen Nightmare on Elm Street like three years ago. Halloween was approaching. I was like, I want to get into some slashers. I rewatched Nightmare on Elm Street. Really enjoyed it. I was watching it with my wife. I told her before we started that Johnny Depp was in this movie. And so we get almost to the end of the movie and she was like, where was Johnny Depp? I was like, it's it's him. She's well, like, remember the, the kid, kid? That, that got put into a blender she in his own bed? Yeah, she that's could not the believe that that was Johnny Depp as a little baby child. So, um, but it was really cool to see two kind of, it felt like watching two faces of Mount Rushmore of horror movies, like kind of unfolding. Um, and we got to see Jamie Lee Curtis kind of in her baby state. We got to see Johnny Depp kind of in his baby state and like really the horror genre as a whole in its baby state. I mean, yes. there had been stuff before with, you know, Kubrick and, you know, whatever. so much true. Hitchcock, all those things, but it was cool to just watch a couple of the archetypal films of the genre as building blocks. Uh, Mask Rushmore, could we call it that? Mask Rushmore, <laughs> I like it. Which, by the way, you think Jason feels left out tonight? He'd have to, but he, he wouldn't say anything. He would just cut us. <laughs> he wouldn't say anything because he doesn't talk. Which is interesting, between the time the first Halloween came out and Nightmare and Elm Street came out, uh, four Friday the 13th came out, three of those with Jason, so the, the amount of influence that Halloween had was crazy because between then and then we get Freddy in 84, it's just crazy what happened between the time Halloween it really did explode. Yeah. <clears throat> By the way, I wanted to do to do a slasher matchup 12 months ago, and I'm not going to point at who said we shouldn't. It was my fault. But it was Kyle. It was completely my fault. I overthought it. I overthought Here we it. Are. But, but we got we a are. good matchup out of it. Silence of the Lambs. But when you propose this one this year, I said yes immediately. But if we did this last year, then we wouldn't be doing it now. Oh, that's Just true. think about and that. We would for be a in second. the same We'd be rut. doing Silence of the Lamb and Seven, which are way better movies. Damn it! God. <laughs> he said it. He said God the thing. Poop. Phil, what are your impressions? I had seen uh, Nightmare on Elm Street a, f a few years ago for the first time and actually thought it was really funny um, and it's maybe because I don't know it's that whole like it kind of looks silly and it you know maybe I was watching it in the wrong context but I I thought Freddy Krueger was shockingly uh, not scary <laughs> but on this rewatch I was watching it through a different lens and just really enjoyed the movie it's a really intriguing plot I mean that this person who was alive you know was in these dreams and, and he's killing people in a dream state and I loved the, the whole fake out ending uh, where it's like you think they've killed him and, and taken care of him and then oh shit he's in the car and oh shit he kills the mom and all this stuff and, and it just kind of lays the groundwork for maybe this whole spiritual situation is much bigger than anyone thought but it was a that, that was a really scary concept while the effects and the acting wouldn't don't really hold up today the storytelling really did I was really surprised at how well it uh, translated but um, and Halloween was uh, I personally love a really slow a slow burn kind of film so I really enjoyed it it, it was just a a really intriguing watch. I felt like they did a great job of milking the tension in that movie. Um, probably, probably to a, a little bit of an extreme, but um, that it was good. It was there. Those were both really fun movies and, and really great movies to watch in October when you have the uh, the holiday of horror holidays coming up. So and the goblins yeah. and the goblins. And while I was sitting here, uh, I researched why we love <laughs> horror movies so much. And on VeryWellMind.com, to me, this encompasses the uh, usefulness of the internet and. 2022. Here's their explanation. No single explanation provided by scholars accounts for every reason people enjoy watching horror movies. Thanks for nothing. You're as bad as Reddit. Go fuck yourself. That was boo very well.
well. Well, it's the same reason, I mean, if we want to have this conversation, I think it's the same reason people like haunted houses, right? They like the idea of yeah. being spooked and scared, but not actually scared. So like when you go into a movie theater, there's obviously this, the underlying safety that nothing bad is going to happen in reality. But you can suspend that disbelief and kind of enter this escapism and where you're allowed to be scared. And that's kind of fun to be scared when it's safe to be so. So I think that's what it's it is. true. Yeah. I think that's I think that's really the key. Um, what you just said. It's fun to be scared when you're safe. It's not fun to be scared when there's an actual masked dude trying to kill you with a knife. Mm-hmm. That shit's not fun. Um, I've been there not worth it through in the safety of your own home and and when it's like um, you know has the limitations of a television screen that's fun i already explained you know most of why i'm attracted to these movies but i do love the idea it's almost like you know you know some of these are going to be bad you know these franchises but part of the fun is criticizing the movies for how far off base they go because each film has a new director you know in both of these franchises uh most of the time the they're not made with the intention of having a sequel which is the case with halloween and a nightmare on elm street neither film was made to have a sequel so which is why they they're they go off the rails. Usually they dip into the ethereal, you know, with Michael Myers, it eventually became a cult, was responsible for his pure evil. Yeah. And then with, you know, Freddy Krueger, it turns out that they call him he's the son of a thousand maniacs because his mom was a nun in a in a insane asylum that got raped by a thousand inmates. And that's what that's but for me, part of the fun is is just kind of like seeing the the ups and downs, you know, categorizing what works really well in the franchises. I have my favorites. Mm-hmm. I have the ones I hate in each, you know. So Anyway, that's that's what I, I love about them. And obviously, the, there's a mythology, right? So even though it's not always well done, I love tracing the mythology of these of these characters. And with that, we move on to the Patreon. Patreon. You know what? I'm scared, Phil. You know what I'm scared? What are you uh, scared of? I've been having bad dreams. Oh, no. And Was there a man trying to mm-hmm. killing of you? Yes. And he, you know what he tried to kill me with? I don't know. A fist full of dollars because he loves our show. Oh, my gosh. And supports us on Patreon. The man in Kyle Dreams tried to kill him with seven dollar mm-hmm seven dollar holy fuck and now the man who tried to kill me gets to listen to bonus content oh my god yeah what a good surprise for yes. mr killer man he gets to hear interviews with hollywood elites oh shit and now. legends and oscar winners what a fun situation but he does have my head in a fish tank he start so. off being killer and then he turn out being thriller because he's so thrilled that he can watch our shit now and l- not watch it but listen he's a huge fan huge so go to the link in our episode. Go to our website. You can click on our link in our TikTok and our Instagram. It'll take you straight to the Patreon. Support us if you love the show. It's tough out there, man. It's tough out there. It is, yeah. The economy blows, but apparently you fuckers can still keep Starbucks in business by, you know, feeding them your dollar bills for their burnt fucking coffee and their old gross milk. So go to the link in our (laughs) So go to the link in our We're already talking to Redditors, huh? Yeah. Randos. Halloween is one of the most profitable movies ever made when it comes to return on investment. They did it for $300,000 and the, all they paid Carpenter was 10K but in exchange for that Carpenter had c- complete creative control. He was responsible for the music. It said John Carpenter's Halloween so he got his name on the box. Um, and Please he got, tell me that man got some back end. And he got a 10% back end. Okay. But, <laughs> I was going to say. But at the time he just he just that, he didn't even care about the 10%. He's like this movie's not going to do anything. <laughs> like he had and he said when he got his first royalty check for the movie they ended up making $71 million 
dollars on this movie on a three hundred k budget. It's well, like, and I mean, and counting for fifty year, forty oh, yeah. years. I mean, it, think of the mailbox money. I mean, we all paid probably to watch it, or HBO yeah. paying to you know. Whatever. I just paid thirty bucks for the four k version with the special features. Like, I also own the DVD back in the day. I've paid for this movie multiple times. I hope when he got that royalty check, he took his family out to Outback Steakhouse. Yeah, me too, Bloomin' <laughs> Onion. But yeah, he he says in the commentary or in the special features, he's like, I never thought I would see a dime from this movie. He's like, we didn't think it would do anything, and then it ended up being the seventh most most uh, profitable movie ever made when it comes to return on investment. That's That's Good for him, man. I hope I hope like a billion dollar franchise. Yeah, it's incredible. Also, genius to call your movie one of the most famous holidays. I mean, it could have been something else. Yeah, but no, we're gonna call it Halloween. If people know what that is, they're gonna want to watch something around this holiday. Let's call it Halloween. Interesting. I this is wasn't in my randos, but I did. They did talk about this in the special features. They wanted to call it Halloween, but they were pretty sure there had to have been a movie called Halloween sometime in history. Not only was there never a movie called Halloween, there is not a there at this time. There was never a movie ever made that had the word Halloween in the title. Wow! They never even found one. So that's Amazing. so they ended up getting the title. And oh, they, to exist in the seventies. So Jamie Lee Curtis, she was not the first choice. She was very. She did. They did not know her well. She was on TV, but she wasn't really prevalent acting. But her parents were famous actors, and one of the reasons they ended up giving her a chance is because her mom was Janet Lee, who was in Psycho. Oh, yeah. Geez. So her mom was in Psycho. No. Yeah. Her mom uh, played Marion Crane. I didn't know that. Yep. Marion Crane is Jan- J- Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's how she ended up getting the nod, which is really cool. And now they're both in horror legend forever. I mean, two of them. That most- makes me respect Jamie Lee Curtis so much less. Really? Because nobody in Hollywood makes it on their own. Yeah. I mean, she only got this part. I mean, I guess she crushed it. I don't think they would have passed eventually, though, because like everybody they asked, <laughs> they couldn't afford. And they also, because it was still, still considered faux pas to do this kind of movie. Like, a lot of people thought, like, if I do this level of violence and this type of movie, because it was the first real slasher, people thought it would end their career. So they also couldn't get people for that reason. I'm calling nepotism. Okay. Yeah, it could I mean, be dude, all of Hollywood's nepotism. <clears throat> Everybody in Hollywood is related to someone. I mean, it's like, there's no organic, like, I mean, you know, there's always an exception to the rule, but the vast majority of people in Hollywood are legacy at this point. Either from, like, this guy was, you know, what do you, what do you call him? The key grip <laughs> yeah. this one thing. And now his daughter's, I mean, the it's like everybody is at this point was essentially shoehorned into this into mm-hmm. uh, Hollywood. But speaking of nepotism, Donald Pleasance, who plays Dr. Loomis, was not ne- nepotized into the movie, but he's the only serious actor at the time who made it into the movie. And the only reason he took the movie, he told John Carpenter, is because his daughter loved the music in his first film, Assault on Precinct 13, which was John Carpenter's only credit until this movie was made. And the only reason was because uh, Lo- or Pleasance's daughter said, oh, I love the I love the music in the, in the Assault on 13, Precinct 13, you should do it. And so, but he constantly heckled Carpenter. He was like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what my character's motivations are, but eventually they became really good friends. I mean, Donald Pleasance went on to be in like the next six (laughs) Halloween movies. So, but he was the only real actor in, um, in the movie. And he gave John Carpenter a super hard time until they eventually became friends. Um, he was also in the great escape. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was a notable actor. Um, Michael Myers is based on a mental patient that John Carpenter met in college. Like he took psychology classes, like a, just a minor thing, you know, just to get his credits. And they ended up taking a, I can't imagine doing this today, but going on a field trip to a mental, (laughs) to a mental institution. But anyway, he said he saw this 12 year old boy that had this, like these black eyes and like, he could just tell that there was nothing in there. And he said like, it felt like in his life, it was the first time he'd seen real evil in person. And he said, so so, he harnessed that in the movie because he basically word for word says that Mm -hmm. in the film. Yeah. That experience is what inspired Michael Myers as a character. So that's where the, 
the some of the characters of That's or amazing. the characteristics of Michael Myers comes from. And lastly, for Halloween, the guy who plays Mike Myers. So it's funny when you look at the, the casting at the end, when you look at the credits, Mike Myers has a credit, but then there's the shape. The shape is what you know as Mike Myers. That's played by a guy named Nick Castle, who was a good friend of Carpenter's in college. He would eventually go on to direct Dennis the Menace and Major Payne <laughs> randomly. Yes, that's <laughs> right. But he plays Mike. He plays the shape, which is the the hulking, killing Michael Myers. When they take off the mask later, that's a different person because they wanted to have an angelic sure, looking yeah. face. But when he's masked, that's Nick Castle. He was only paid twenty five bucks a day to play Mike Myers, but because they were friends, he was okay with it. So there's three technically that are credited with Michael Myers. There's Nick Castle, the shape, and then Will Sandlin, Michael Myers plays a kid, and then a different guy who had an angelic face is what they and said. And Tony Moran played, I guess, the uh, grown up one. Well, just for the scene, the one scene where his mask comes off. That's the only scene Tony. Oh, Moran's so that in. would have been Will Sandlin because it's cut off here. I can't tell. So, the, but the top one of the top build cast is Tony Moran. So okay. that's probably the older one. And so then the rest of it's Nick Castle. It's really funny how they did that. Twenty five bucks a day. And the mask. Did you know this? Do you guys know what the mask is? It's a William Shatner Star Trek mask. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, a lot of people know this in the horror community, but for those that don't know, they had no idea what they wanted. They thought maybe he would keep wearing the clown mask because that's what he killed his sister in in the very first scene. It's like, maybe we'll do the clown mask. So so the one of the costume directors came back with three masks. It was an alien mask, I think, a clown mask, and a William Shatner mask. That's all he could find at the Hollywood costume store or whatever. And they were like, if we paint up the, the Shatner mask, it really doesn't look like Shatner. It just looks no, like nothing. it's fucking scary so, as shit. Yeah, so they cut off some of the hair, they cut off, <laughs> painted it, and it is a William Shatner mask. And so William Shatner talks about it all the time. He's like, somehow I am also Michael Myers. <laughs> He's like, I love that. That's amazing. It's, dude. it's incredible. God, the 70s were ruled. I know. It's amazing. It's a weird, weird decade. Man. Such a good time for Son of Sam to happen. All right, here we go. Randos for Nightmare on Rando Street. Charlie Sheen wanted <laughs> Depp's role, but he wanted three grand a week, and they just simply could not afford Charlie Sheen for three grand a week. <laughs> that's that's a, on brand. That right feels there. like nothing, too. Winning. I yeah. Know, I know. <laughs> I won three grand a week. Yeah, I know. But uh, okay, he's sick to Vietnam, all right? Yeah. So this is funny, though, about Johnny Depp. So when Wes Craven, he was talking, it's funny. John Carpenter talked to his, or Donald Pleasance talks to his daughter about John Carpenter. Wes Craven's talking to his daughter about how Charlie Sheen won't take the role. And they're entertaining this Johnny Depp guy. And he was like, and his daughter was like, well, why don't you want to hire Johnny Depp? She's like, well, he's kind of pale and sickly looking. Is what Wes Craven said. His daughter's well, like, no, he's dreamy. How much of a horror guy is Wes Craven? Did she not think, know when she was saying that that was Johnny Depp? She had no yeah. idea. It was amazing. It was way after that, she's like, so where was Johnny Depp? I was like, that was the guy that gave you a boner. But yeah, <laughs> a she-bone. Now being in 2022, <laughs> the idea of anyone thinking Johnny Depp during that time was ugly. It's hilarious. But that's such a like a horror director guy's thing. Like, oh, he's sickly looking. <laughs> yeah, he's sickly. I mean, it was before all the rum was gone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is probably my favorite rando in the whole thing. So uh, a guy named David Miller, who's one of the most predominant makeup cat. Uh, costume guys in Hollywood history got his chops making all of the costumes for Michael Jackson's thriller, thriller music video. Oh, that's a good rando. Yeah. That is a great rando. He's the one that designed Freddy. That and, makes so much sense. I know. And when they said, well, how did you come up with it? He says, I was literally eating a pepperoni pizza. Yes, and that's what inspired Freddy's look. Wait, so is that why he got the call? They were like, mm -hmm. whoa, we love the thriller video. Let's yep. put that. That's amazing. That's so cool, it, Yeah, man. thriller had launched him and he he went on to do, if you, his, his IMDB is insane. I mean, he has done so much legendary stuff, but yes, Thriller completely put him in the stratosphere. And then uh, he goes on to 
make the one of the most legendary costumes ever. I mean, Freddy is so even if you've never seen it, yo, you know who he is. You know who it is. The claw was actually so whenever you see Freddy and his posture is shifted to the left, and that kind of became his his look whenever he would walk into a room. You know, the claw hand would be like hanging. That wasn't intentional. They said the claw was actually extremely heavy, and so England is not a big guy. So like whenever he would put it on, he would always his posture would just shift like this. Damn. And so a lot of people think that's just how he's his scary look, but that was just because he like after filming for hours in it, he just could not hold it up. I mean, I gotta say this, everyone. Reality is just stranger than fiction. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Like, just fucking crazy, everyone. And Aaron Judge hit a 60-second home run. So when people ask about the inspiration for Nightmare on Elm Street, the big inspiration was there was something actually in the news called Nightmare Syndrome. People were reporting in the psychology community having nightmares and doing horrible things. People that were over-prescribed by doctors. Now, this is hilarious. They were Doctors were over-prescribing sleeping pills to these people. Oh, and so they like, were having you know. insomnia and having really intense nightmares and seeing visions. And so the this was publicized in the news and that's where Wes Craven got the inspiration. Amazing. Because one of the cool things that one of the producers says is we wanted Freddy to be what, you know, what Jaws is to water. We wanted Freddy to be to nightmares. Because they people feel, they felt like nightmares were like such a crucial part of the scary experience. Well, yeah. And so that they wanted like Jaws to water, Freddy to That's nightmares. what made this plot so mm -hmm. genius is, is like you're tapping into something that's already terrifying nightmares this ambiguous you know experience that we all have at some point in our lives and then adding this realistic element where like oh, you might die like that's that is a really terrifying concept yes if it was i mean imagine if that was a real thing anyway yeah mm. then you get nightmare on elm street yes Aaron judge anyway <laughs> Closing out Rando Kruger here. The Johnny Depp death scene, which is one of the craziest death scenes I've ever seen in Johnny any movie. Death. Johnny Depp. Yeah. The blood shooting out of the mattress. That, that was, was crazy. It was crazy. And you don't expect it either. You don't. <laughs> and I can't even tell if it's the best death scene in the movie. It was yeah. West crazy. Like, just <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was just West of crazy. It was that scene. They could, they only had budget to do it in one take. And the, the red, it was just red water. So it was water with food dye and I think like a coagulant to thicken it up. It gets into the lights and it's a room. So the way they did it was it was like a room they had built and it was enclosed. So it was like in a studio and water had gotten into the lights and electrocuted a light technician. Oh no. <laughs> he lived, but like oh, electrocuted a guy. God, how great would it have been if he had died? I know. Because <laughs> then mean, it would yeah. have been cursed. What a, what a better rando. Yeah. yeah. And the room started tilt. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been a better. This rando brought to you by this guy still living like a putz. Yeah. The, so the room was tilting back and forth. Water was going everywhere. But all that chaos aside, what you see is that take. So the take where the guy got electrocuted yeah. and the room is tilting when it's not supposed to be, that is the only thing they could afford. So you're seeing the scene where the guy got electrocuted. Wow. <laughs> Which is amazing. And that was literally a bloodbath. I mean, it was just, just... <laughs> Incredible. A blood shower. One of my favorite death scenes ever in a movie, probably. And some great stuff this movie did with, with uh, like, gravity. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Like, was that, so the first death scene were, or not death, well, yeah, it was a death scene. When she was, like, writhing on the ceiling, obviously the room was flipped upside down because mm -hmm. that's how she was able to, like, stay on the ceiling. Yep. So was this, do you think this room was flipped upside down, too? Is it by the water, or was it just explosive yep. water? That's exactly what happened. The room was upside down. That's okay. the second time they used it. So the first scene, they had upside down, so instead of dragging her across the real ceiling, they actually just attached the boyfriend to the ceiling and had her on the floor that way it, so they attached the furniture to the to the roof or what is the floor in the shot but it's really the roof right I know that scene but the depth death scene mm -hmm. 
Yep. Was that also a ceiling situation? It was upside down. Yep. And they had people, they had electricians and they had light people and camera people suspended around. God. Yeah. Really Jeez. cool use of effects. Really I, I know cool. it's 1984, yeah. Dude, but it's great. I thought it looked really The effects on Elm Street were, were really cool. Like, they're, I mean, you look at them now and you're like, yeah, okay. But. Well, and like when and, he walked through the bars. Yeah. I was like, this movie's 40 years old. That actually looked kind of good for a 40 year old. Yeah. Movie. It did. And when he removes his face and stuff, I know that was just makeup, but like, there were some really creepy ass moments in that. And the Long arms. That's the part. The that is my favorite scene in that the whole movie. Is so when all of a sudden his arms weird. are just super long and he's scratching. I'm like, that. There's creativity in yeah. this. It's not just violence for violence' sake. Like they, yeah, they literally go into each kill trying to innovate. And that's what's fun about the Freddy series is each film, except for two. Two is the worst. But every all the rest of them, they like. They also had effects that no one else used. Like I just finished watching six. They used effects in six that had never been used before. So for for even though this was a small budget, New Line Cinema, they call it the house that Freddy built because that's real literally the first film they did. Unbelievable. It was literally mm -hmm. all funded by the Freddy That's movies. Cool. Peter Jackson was rejected for five, so he submitted a script for five, and his mm. script was rejected, but then he would go on to produce uh, The Lord of the Rings with New Line Cinema. So all New Line Cinema was for years was just Freddy Krueger movies, and it just continued. The more money they made, they built New Line and eventually made Lord of the Rings. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. But you know what? Peter Jackson may have had a shitty idea for that. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, just because he's a genius in Lord of the Rings doesn't mean it was right Well, for just them. like he had a shitty idea for all the Hobbit movies, and there you go. Well, whoa, wait, whoa, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And Peter Jackson, though, he he did have a foray in horror that was really good. Dead right. Alive, which was a very violent movie, but that, that was... That doesn't make sense. Yeah, Dead Alive, I know. That was one of his first... It has a very prolific movie. Why, that is just Did you recognize this color? Did you guys ever see this at the video store? Yes! That was one of the covers I was obsessed with. I would go up, oh that's Peter Jackson. That is an iconic... That's his third film, Peter Jackson. I will made. say, I love horror posters. Yes! yes. They're so good. Be They're mouth. just like... like I mean, even look at these, mm -hmm. like the pumpkin with the knife. It's like so iconic in that font for Halloween. And then the well, Nightmare I mean, on Elm Street. I don't even know what's going on, but it's a, you know, crazy woman's hair on a pillow with like a... Think about like... Just creepy. The horror genre just is fodder for great artwork because mm -hmm. there's there's so much to pull from in that. Like you can right. make any kind of visual and it's going to be interesting. Especially in the 70s and 80s because these are this is the burgeoning of home video. Yeah. Late 70s, early 80s. That, so, and they're competing with all the boxes. They're sitting at Blockbuster in these video stores. Yes. And like do something that's going to grab eyes and compete with everybody else. So like that that's why they're so great. You and know, that's probably why so I was good. so forbidden fruit attracted to them going to the video stores. The kid is like, oh, I Right. Watch all and it's of stuff these. you can't watch. And yeah. that's why there's actually a huge, huge VHS collecting scene mm. because a lot of these movies got banned from video stores because oh, of wow. some of the, you know, mm -hmm. parents would bring the video back and complain to the stores and then they would get banned from wow. being rented. And that's why they're really difficult to find because they didn't get reprinted because the video stores weren't buying them. And that now they're collectors' pieces. Shall we slash? Let's slash. Shall we hack and slash? Hack and slash? Let's do it. Let's do it. It. We got a, and I renamed, uh, so Top Bill supporting cast and supporting in the spirit of Slasher, I renamed them to Top Bill Bags of Meat and Supporting Bags of Meat. Love, Love it. it. So, hey, Drew, supporting bags of meat or no, Top Bill Bags of Meat. Heather Langenkamp, Johnny Depp, Robert England. Yes. For Halloween, you've got Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Tony Moran. Filskis, what do you say? 
Gotta go Nightmare on Elm Street. This is kind of a rough one because I feel like these, in spite of being slasher films, were two very different movies with two very different silos of characters. Like, Nightmare on Elm Street was really about the individual performances of each person. Like, from Freddy to the kids to, you know, all that. Everybody really contributed versus Halloween. It was more this, like, kind of ambiguous idea of the terror of this guy going back to his hometown and killing people. And, and the performances in that I don't feel like were as important because it was so slow paced. It was so suspense driven. Like, when is this dude going to attack? It's it's really hard to compare these two because they, they serve different purposes. That said, I go Nightmare on, on Elm Street because the performances were just stronger. They were, they were more integral to the entire film as a whole versus Halloween, where I feel like just the plot and the idea and the suspense was the character. Yeah, I agree. I think I found myself more invested in Depp's character and Langenkamp's character because they were just it felt like they were kind of the team of the movie. Halloween was a little more like Jamie Lee Curtis and the plot itself. The yes. story itself was what was moving it along. Not really I, w- I didn't really care about the characters themselves. Yeah. You were just wanting to know like what's happening, why, and when is this dude going to kill? Yeah, like- exactly. Exactly. But I was actually pulling for Heather and I felt I was, you mm-hmm. know, I was like, oh man, her mom's an alcoholic. She's not present. And I don't know. I just felt invested in what happened to those people and I yep. didn't really care about Halloween. Yeah, I also went to Nightmare and Street and both of these movies benefit from the fact that they these aren't complete bags. I mean, I call them that because we're talking about slashers, yeah, but Friday is funny. Friday the thirteenth really leaned into like we are gonna have the killer, one person that's just competent enough of a human not to die, and then a bunch of fucking morons. Like that is literally <laughs> Friday the thirteenth yeah. cast call. And you know, say what you want about some of the poor installments of a nightmare on Elm Street franchise, but they did a really good job making sure that the characters were dimensional versus some of the other slasher franchises. So I think both of these films benefit from having a little more depth. The thing is, is that... A little more depth. Yeah, but Halloween eventually will do more things to establish the connection because, you know, eventually you find out Laurie Strode and Mike Myers are siblings. You know, you don't know that till later. You don't know that in this movie. I didn't know that till just now. Yeah, you eventually do find that out. Spoiler alert for a movie that's uh, 40-something years old. But anyway, I think I think the character... Robert England, here's the thing. I watched a whole documentary. By the way, if, you're, if you haven't seen The Never Sleep Again, it's a four-hour documentary, so I had to break it up like an hour a week. It is the best movie documentary I've ever seen, even compared to Hearts of Darkness with Apocalypse Now. Robert wow. England loves being Freddy Krueger. He loves it. You can tell. He loves playing that character and it shows in every movie and so I go I go Nightmare on Elm Street because he's just so he's just so good and so iconic. All right, best supporting bags of meat. All right, best supporting in Nightmare on Elm Street. We got John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely as Marge. She's the mom. Uh, Amanda Weiss and Sue Garcia. Love Sue Garcia. I'm kidding. It's J S U. In Halloween, we got Nancy Keis. Keys. It's K Y E S. Forgive me. P J Souls, Charles Cyphers, and Kyle Richards. P J Souls, one of Dennis McQuaid's first wives, and they were married during this movie. What do you think, Drew? Uh, again, I gotta go Nightmare. I just felt way more interested in this whole cast, I, and I actually felt hatred for the f- the boyfriend with. The- who was the boyfriend? Who oh, was he was like, so annoying. Who surprised him at the beginning? Yes, uh, yeah. Whoever he is, I did not did not like him. Yeah, I hated him from the beginning, and uh, I actually felt empathy for his girlfriend at the time, and like she was always like hitting on her, and which I think was Amanda Weiss. So I, I was, I, I'll go Nightmare on Elm Street. I was way more invested in that. Just you can't even the acting in Halloween. Just it, it seemed like it was a non factor. Yeah, it really it was. Feel like, it was flat. Like it was it it. And once again, that goes back to the purpose. of 
of these two films, like it, it's really kind of tough to explain, but like watching Nightmare on Elm Street is very character driven. You even though the acting was pretty bad in both of these movies, Nightmare on Elm Street, you just kind of cared a little bit more about the trajectory of the kids and what was happening. And and like I applauded the main girl's balls to go after Freddy in the dream and be like, I'm going to bring him back and you're going to kill him. That was I mean, she's a tough chick, but like in Halloween, it was just like this entire town was the backdrop for a bunch of murders that were about to take place. And these particular people they chose were just there because they had to fill it with characters. Like it wasn't like if there was a town and he was going out killing people, that would have been boring. But like, so they had to add characters that you kind of cared about a little, but I didn't give a shit about anybody in Halloween. I was just like, what's happening? When's this dude going to attack? That was it. So again, I go Nightmare on Elm Street, but it's more by default. Like it's not that either movie necessarily had like better acting performances. It was more just the purpose of it and the interest in set actors. And so Nightmare just was was way more engaging from a character standpoint versus Halloween, which was just like the backdrop was the character and the plot was the character, you know? Oh, that's a great point. I also went Nightmare. The thing about Halloween is because I think A Nightmare on Elm Street takes place in dreams and nightmares and there's already kind of an ethereal part of it, you're already suspending some of the disbelief. With Halloween, these are supposed to be high school kids, but I just don't believe them as high school kids. Totally. Like, they're just, they're old. You can tell they're older. John Carpenter, as great as he is, and like I said, he will be a goat. He is a goat. I don't think at this time he was really directing actors as much as he would grow to eventually, like with The Thing and some of the other Kurt Russell movies. I just don't feel like they're believable. I can't relate to them as high school kids. I, I didn't, that was not what my high school experience, I know I was a loser. Hard agree. I was an absolute loser, but even that being <laughs> said, I just can't relate to anything they're doing or saying. I'm like, who are these stupid kids? And they're not kids. So that's in Halloween, ama- you mean? Yeah, at Halloween. Yeah, they also did not look no, and they, even a little like high school kids. Well, and part of it, and it's in the movie's defense, is when it came out in the 70s and actually in Nightmare as well. In the 70s and 80s, kids that age dressed like what we would perceive as 40-year-olds. Mm. You know what I mean? Like they wore pleated pants True. and sweater vests. Good point. There is some aging. Long True. skirts. But in your defense, Jamie Lee Curtis was like, I think, pushing 20 when like, and she was supposed I to mean, be 16. Or everyone in Halloween, all the quote unquote kids looked like 30 year olds to me versus the people in Nightmare all looked like kids, like just their faces. You know, they, they just look like children versus Nightmare. It looked like, uh, or sorry, Halloween. It looked like I was watching like peers on right. like people that were like not totally. too far off from my age. Well, and Nightmare yeah. had six years to learn from Halloween. So yeah. it's like, hey, let's make Halloween, but let's make the characters a little, have a little more depth. Let's give yeah. the mo- this girl's mom's an alcoholic and, you know, this guy's whatever, a jock, like has a little, uh, whatever. It just felt like there was some like room to iterate and to, to improve. Yeah, they're not given a lot to react to. And Wes Craven said, he's like, I wanted to create a, you know, a slasher where the killer isn't silent because like by the time Freddy's created, we already have Michael and Jason. And Jason's mm-hmm. already been in three movies, silent, brooding. Yeah, yeah, that's a good Freddy point. is comedic. He's vocal and he grows. He to, kind of is, man. The yeah. tongue coming through the phone. With each movie, like, he actually becomes a comedian over the course of the movies. So they're Freddy actually, killer. they're reacting to not just his brutality, but his his sense of humor, his personality. So one last thing I'll close this out with is with Nightmare on Elm Street, the, they are asked to do a little more too. I love, and this is prevalent in all the films, the parents have a secret. These kids are talking about Freddy in their dreams and they pretend like they don't know what's going on, even though they all took part in killing him. So they do a great job. There's an airiness. There's almost, you notice there's a, almost like a benevolence and airheadedness to how they act around the kids when they're talking about Freddy. Like, yeah, oh, oh, Nancy, that's, you know, silly. Like, it's very, but that's because they're hiding a secret. They're having to act like they're not the ones that threw him in a furnace. 
Yeah, you know? exactly. So they are asked to do a little more. <laughs> also in Nightmare, how intense is that moment where she reveals, oh, this guy that I'm trying to gaslight you into thinking doesn't exist. I actually killed him. And here here's his claws, claws that I've been hiding in the house. That that whole scene was like very heavy handed. What? Sorry, I've been treating like, you like you a dumb bitch the whole time, right Nancy. Now? But the guy in your dreams, his claws in our furnace downstairs. Dude, so I was like, <laughs> yeah, I killed no him. No wonder <laughs> yeah. this fucking dude is haunting you. Like you put parts of his body in your fucking furnace and left it there. I, I actually it, loved that scene though I because did too. It, it made I mean, I it like it. all feel that got it got way more interesting to me. I, I agree. The, the bitch mom that was just a random alcoholic for no apparent reason all of a sudden became way like important to the story. I, I do was like, agree. Oh, she's not only not important, she is is important and yeah. also the annoying thing about her character that she drinks all the time actually makes sense because she's trying to medicate all she this had a shit. motivation well, yeah, no, it all, yeah it really it felt like a more full story I totally came. agree it was a great scene and I actually I mean in, in the moment I loved it but like thinking back on it I'm like good god they just come out with that like oh yeah. by the way I killed him and here are his claws I was like mm -hmm. wow and that becomes <laughs> like, the right, mythology there's another, another version of this movie where like the first scene you see is her killing that guy yeah exactly like, like hiding yeah, her claw, it was just claws. kind of, and you know that yeah. about the mom the whole time. But that's also why I loved Nightmare. It was that's good. Yeah, it was so it movie. was just good, bizarre storytelling. Yeah. Like and, I really enjoyed it. And that is where the mythology builds. Each film it adds more about Freddy's life as a human when he was alive, and you know, eventually find yeah. out he wasn't just a child killer; he was a child molester, which is really oh, weird I because there was so much pop culture. Kids were wearing Freddy outfits yet, so they're like trying to forget hey, that he's way, a child he molester. You. Hey, fuck! Yeah, yeah. By the way, this is a horrible. You're a kid; you don't want to wear that anyway. <laughs> Scream queen battle. Scream oh. queen battle. Nancy versus Laurie. Now, this is going to be interesting because Laurie Strode is like considered historically iconic. I'll, I'm going to kick us off here. I hate to be an ass whooping here, but I love Heather Langenkamp in this. I love Nancy. <laughs> I hate to be an ass whooping. <laughs> I hate to be an ass whooping. God, don't be an ass whooping. Don't be an here. ass whooping now. An a, a whippersnapper. I just love what Langenkamp does. I think this is a very strong point, not just for the movie, but in like horror movie history in a slasher where the female heroine is not a dumbass and she's strong and yeah she's awesome like she's, she's a, great she's a tough chick and that's where Nightmare on Elm Street really dominates Friday the 13th and Halloween is that throughout a lot of those movies not all but a lot of them they're intelligent they're not just bag bags of meat although eventually they do meet their demise whereas Friday the 13th like, like can you kill this person already they're so stupid like mm -hmm. just kill them Jason so I love what she does she really sets the tone and that's why they, they cast her because she portrayed a very strong person I go Nightmare on Elm Street but I do want to say I recognize how I iconic Laurie Strode is. Jamie Lee Curtis is such a legend. She's beloved in the horror community and and some of her later uh, films that she does in Halloween franchise, especially this new trilogy they're doing, um, even though she's much older, she's kicking ass in this new trilogy. So she's fun. She's a legend. I do go Nancy here, but that's not a, any insult of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, I think you can nitpick a lot of things about Heather, but the one thing she crushes is the scream. So good. I'm a, I'm a fan of her scream. I, I wasn't bought into her at first. I thought she was a little stiff. She was like not as attractive as some of the other people on the screen. I was a little confused by her whole presence and then I heard her scream and I was like, oh yeah. She's a scream okay, queen. Okay, I get it. She, They had actresses come in and scream and then she screamed and it was great and that's why she got cast. So, 
I'll go, I'll go uh, Nightmare. You did a really great job reading that script there, young lady. <laughs> now, could you just give me a good old scream? Just for scream's sake. Like you just found out you can't go to prom anymore. <laughs> yeah, and that's how they casted who was in this movie. But uh, yeah, same. Uh, I hate to like, you know, whip out the spiked bat, but I also go <laughs> Nightmare here. Whip out the I love that. You've bat. said the spiked bat before. I yeah. love that. Which would that's be a good in a horror movie. Yeah, anyway. I mean, yeah. just imagine, like, it's not just beating somebody. It's got fucking spikes. That thing is doing permanent damage. And here's why I go Nightmare. There was a scene in that movie where... I think it's like toward the end when she goes into the dream on purpose to bring Freddy out. I was just struck by the fact that even though she was fully aware of what she was doing, like she's going into this dream, she's going to bring this guy out. She's still deeply terrified. And there's a scene where Freddy kind of like sneaks up on her and dude, her scream rocks you. Blood curdling is such an overused phrase, but man, it, it really does that. Like you cringe a little like, oh fuck. She did this on purpose, but she's still terrified, you know? So yeah, anyway... Heather Lane became nightmare on that one. Heather crushed it. She now yeah. co-owns a special effects company with her husband. You know what? Good for her. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Her husband's in a new nightmare. Three, Three to zero. Zitch. A nightmare on Movie War Street. Here yep. we go. This is going to be contentious. Here, music. Best music. Both of these soundtracks sounded really similar to me. <laughs> really? Oh, I think Just, they're so. Yeah, different. they had the like seventies. Well, sonically, they were. They both sound kind of scary. Oh, like tech- yeah, like yeah. from a sonic standpoint, they had. Um, I think I actually go Halloween on this one that had a more memorable little ditty mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And anyway. it's like one of the most iconic things ever. It's like up there with Jaws. Yeah, it, like yeah, the, the Halloween ditty is pretty, uh, kind of sticks with you a little bit. I was I was saying they were similar because the instrumentation is, is just very like late 70s, synthy. early 80s. Like, They're both made on yeah, the synthesizer. Yeah, that synthy, like, Casio. oh look, yeah, we discovered <laughs> yeah. electronic music. Here it is. It's like the know? doors were hired to make it. Yeah, or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, or Mr. Casio himself. Yeah, Michael Drew. W. Smith, one of the... <laughs> <laughs> well, I really liked when I when I put Halloween on and that, you know, the classic opener. When I heard that soundtrack, I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is so iconic. Yeah. Like Jaws it's not, level. It's not Jaws, but it's like right there. Yeah. Yeah. And then I looked up, I was like, I got to know who's doing this. Like, this is like Jerry Goldsmith. Like, who's the whatever. And it, it was the director, the guy that wrote the script, directed the movie. For 10 did grand. Did the music. Yeah. All this for $10,000 with no prayer that it's going to make, mm-hmm. you know, what it ended up making. And the music he did in his first film is the reason why the biggest actor signed on because his daughter liked the music that John Carpenter made in the first movie he did. Which is really kind of not great, but it's iconic mm-hmm. and it worked. It just worked for whatever yep. reason. That said, I think the music in Nightmare on Elm Street is actually very good. It's it incredible. Is, yeah. And it actually sounds like a, a composer made the music. Charles Bernstein. And I remember having many, like several moments during that movie thinking like, oh, this is really good. I'm like in it because of the music right now. Like I had moments of realization. So mm-hmm. I got to go Nightmare again. You I do. hate to be a homer for Nightmare, but it just it is what it is. Listen, I almost have the same thing as Drew, except I did go Halloween. Listen, I actually do like the music from Nightmare better. I actually think it's horrifying. Well, then you gotta go Nightmare! I'll explain. I'll explain my reasoning. <sighs> I know. You gotta trust me I on this. I don't like it. Um, you've been disagreeing me with, with me on movies for a long time. Just stick with me. But I do think it, and I loved it because on that documentary, Never Sleep Again, Charles Bernstein's taking you through. There's actually a whole segment segment where he gets beyond the piano and is showing you the chords and like the, you know, the Locrian mode he's in 
and it's really incredible. God, if you're in modes, you've lost the audience at that point. Yeah, but he's, dude, he's composing, the, you know, like Schoenberg, who did The Shining. I mean, it's all about dissident tones. You know, we don't want to drag our audience through music theory right now, but. No, no, we don't. Yeah. But the reason I actually go Halloween is one of the coolest facts that, that I learned was John Carpenter had to show like a pre-edit. It was a final version, but it wasn't complete edited and he hadn't composed the soundtrack yet or the score. And he has to show it to an executive. And she was like, it was like no music. He just hadn't done it yet. And she was like, this is not a scary movie. Like, this isn't scary at all. She's like, is there going to be any music or anything? He's like, yeah, there'll be music. He went back, composed that whole thing on the synth by himself, went back and showed the same executive. She's like, now this is a fucking scary movie. No pressure. The, wow. The music is so important in these movies, mm. all horror movies. It is, yeah. It, it's like a character in Nightmare too. Like, without the music, what is this? But it's so important to these films. I think it's just too iconic. I do appreciate the, the technical aspects of Nightmare more, but I got to give it up for John Carpenter for directing this movie for 10K. That is amazing. Making, yeah. like, top five all-time score compared, like, with Jaws, it's up there, and making it essentially its own character in the movie. So I do go Halloween. So Halloween gets a point here. Currency conversion. $10,000 back then is equal to about $45,000 now. So still not great, but... Still ain't shit. Still ain't shit. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, but hey, you know, 45 grand. Now John Carpenter's probably in 700 millionaire. You have to do this with a slasher movie. They get creative with the kills. It's like half the battle here. Best kills. I feel like this is not even debatable. I mean, of course, everything's debatable. I mean, <laughs> everything's the ghost. Especially in 2022, where we're debating shit that has never been debated before. But, um, <laughs> true. It's very true. I mean, Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street had some just egregious <laughs> kills. Like, perfect. Just we are going to bask in the fact that this human body is being eviscerated and being a blender mattress out amongst the room. Good God. Nightmare on Elm Street had some fucked up kills. <laughs> yes. And I, I mean, it really was. It was appalling. That was you dark. don't expect it. Like, you can't look away. He goes to the bed. Where I just found myself leaning in and like drool coming out. I'm like, are you serious? Because in your yeah. mind, I think this you're thinking because what happens in those movies, you're thinking he's just dragging him into Freddy's lair. Like the next scene is going to be Johnny Depp's character in Freddy's lair in the no. furnace. Then the record players falling off the bed, blah, blah, well, then all of a sudden, choo! yeah, <laughs> it's like, what am I seeing right well, now? It's the supernatural element, right? Yeah, because you're like, you're it's so visceral and physical, and like she's thrashing in the bed, and like you're feeling it, like, oh, there's somebody there, but then it's not, it's not there, but it feels it's like not. it's there, and she's like, you know, on the ceiling, and like he's getting sucked in the oh bed, my gosh. and like it that, feels real, but it's like, it's like, but where are they going? Like, where is he getting sucked? Honestly, that who scene, is up there on the ceiling killing this woman? Like, it just your yeah, mind is very racing. unsettling. That scene where yeah. she's in bed and starts thrashing around and gets lifted up into the ceiling and dragged around and then like that was just pretty damn scary even now like because of the mm -hmm. thoughts that it creates for you so I mean the the whole anti-gravity killing the blender killing like all those other things that, those are some brutal ass murders like mm -hmm. I nightmare by a landslide yeah yeah I agreed I feel like we yeah. tag teamed that I, yeah I go nightmare I go nightmare and and the thing is is that becomes the that becomes kind of the hallmark of the entire franchise is each movie they they get they ramp up the creativity I mean they eventually come up with some of the most creative ways to knock people off in that franchise. I do want to give Halloween credit. I'm still going Nightmare, but Halloween, Nightmare had the benefit of being six years later. I mean, they right. they barely were able to get away with what was in Halloween, like, because they were so hard on them from a rating perspective. And that's not to say, even though maybe the kills aren't as creative, the kills are haunting because especially when he pops out of the pantry and pins the guy against the wall yes. and after he's dead, he crooks his head to the side and he kind of looks at him like he's an animal. Dude, well, the, that I, was very horrifying The to thing me. about Halloween that... It 
It was, once again, very, oddly enough, very different movies in spite of the fact that they kind of live in the same world. Um, Halloween did the suspense thing well, and it did the long shot thing well. Like, the, what struck me about Halloween, that kill specifically that you just mentioned, was how Michael Myers just stands there afterward and stares at him. Mm-hmm. And it just is saying so much with nothing happening. Mm-hmm. Like, he's really getting across, this dude is fucked up and delights in killing other people. Kills this guy, sticks him to the wall with a knife, which I'm not sure of the physical reality of that, but, you know, we'll go with it. Man, him standing there staring at the guy was creepy mm-hmm. as fuck. Yeah, it was. Like, no two ways about and it. And with Freddy, we know his motivation. Like, we we learned it pretty quickly, whereas with Mike Myers, we know he was a killer as a kid, but is he evil? Oh, is he just, just sadistic? Yeah. Or is this ethereal? Like, what are we dealing with here? So, yeah, I think, I, listen, I mean, Nightmare Benefits, I, again, I feel bad not giving it to Halloween, because Halloween is the original of all this, but Nightmare is just Wes Craven with some of these kills. I mean, and just the imagery in general is just so it just sticks with you and you almost have to give Wes even more credit another way they benefited was benefited was they had four Friday the 13th to come out by the time three or four I can't remember the last the last one came out in the same year as the original nightmare but that Friday the 13th started to get that reputation for having creative kills so there was already like three films worth of Jason Voorhees kills but I mean, still it, yeah. even given that Wes Craven still took it an extra mile and came up with such creative stuff yeah I mean that that's also a good point because think about the pressure that he must have been under because it's like all right we've established the fact that this horror genre is viable and people are interested in watching their fellow humans die in grotesque ways. Mm -hmm. And so Wes Craven has to make this movie while delivering on that shock value with limited special effects ability. And I mean, he comes up with some real fucked up stuff. Yes, he does. Aside from just stabbing the dude and lifting him off the ground or whatever. And I want to, you know, also just point out these movies kind of set the stage for that one-upsmanship that eventually resulted in Saw. Happening violence and yeah I mean talk mm-hmm. about a movie that is known for its kill scenes well so. Rob Zombie completely ruined Halloween because John Carpenter says like I didn't want a lot of violence I didn't want it to be known for its gore Rob mm-hmm. Zombie's like I only want it to be known for gore he completely yeah. ruined well, the story I mean he digs through the ditches and burns through the witches and like, his Dragula yeah that's the second time we've referenced that song on this podcast it's the only one I really know <laughs> two categories left four to one Nightmare is uh, clawing Halloween to death right now in its blender bed Nightmare wins Nightmare wins I know we got two fun categories left though which is legit more scary to you guys? I know this is really simple, but I mean, what is what did I mean? Say you were frightened, which maybe you weren't frightened. Is there one that comes off as more scary to you? I think Nightmare for all the reasons we just said. Man, I'm gonna take a hard left turn here and actually go Halloween because it's realistic. Like that fucking weirdo creeping around, like for whatever his bizarre reasons, we're going back to his hometown. Mm. Yeah, and, okay. and like the realism of how he... It's not supernatural at all. It's not supernatural. Like Nightmare on Elm Street is scary because it delves into something that I guess at the time no one had ever thought of was, you know, your dreams are haunted or whatever. The movie takes place on Halloween. Somebody walking around with a mask on is not that bizarre. Everyone is doing it. You can't really tell the difference between somebody just dressed up for Halloween and this guy who's creeping around in a neighborhood, sneaking into windows and murdering people. Like like, that is terrifying because that, I'm sure, has happened and could also happen at anywhere at any time. Somebody hiding in plain sight, wearing some fucked up costume because it's Halloween and he can go, you know, uh, go by unnoticed. That's pretty scary to me. Yeah, and I, I, I don't have much more to say other than I agree with you, the, the realism, but also just his non-responsiveness. Because Freddy is so comical and vocal and reactive, it's still scary, but it's like there's levity. With Mike Myers in, in the first Halloween, like, he's killing people and not flying 
flinching. And you can't see his eyes, so you don't know what he's thinking. And he just seems to kill with not a single ounce of being affected. And that's really freaking scary, you know, considering that John Carpenter, like the whole basis for this character was based on a real person he met at a mental institution who he said was pure evil. So crazy, real, four to two. And this is why everyone comes. This is why everybody comes to the Movie Wars podcast Halloween episode. Michael versus Freddy. Just straight up. Weaponry, approach, characters. Phil, what do you think? Who do you take? I mean, Freddy can make his arms longer. He's got, I mean, Mike. Michael's got one knife. Freddy's got like, what, eight? I don't know. Or four or something. However many. It's still more than one. Just four, but he uses the elements. Yeah, he can hop through universes, you know, the, the real world, the dream world. You know, he's got his own kill dungeon where he shreds people up and sprays them out of beds. I don't know that it's much of a contest there. All things being equal. Yeah, it's tough. It's this, the supernatural thing makes it a little bit. Feels like he's a little more untamed. Freddy, that is. Yeah, I go Freddy too. And, uh, you know, eventually in Halloween 6, they do, when they run out of bad ideas, and the like the first big movie Paul Rudd ever did was Halloween 6. And uh, wow. they do get into the ethereal with the cult, and he's a presence and all this. But I went Freddy just because I think Robert England. Like, it's funny, I've watched so many movies where great actors have acted, but you can just tell Robert England loves what he's doing. He owns that character. When they did the remake in the later 2000s, when they remade A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, it was so hated by so many people, myself included. It was pathetic. It was a joke. Without Robert England, that character sucks. He is Freddy Krueger. He owns it. He's hilarious. He's brutal. Um, I just think Freddy is, in, in pop culture, he eventually there was a Freddy CD where he sings a bunch of songs they wrote for Freddy. Oh my god. He gosh. was a pop culture phenomenon. They had a heavy metal band that was famous do a music video for Freddy for five. I mean, just crazy. That's amazing. Anyway, I, I go Freddy, although I do acknowledge Michael's you know legend and all that, but Freddy's just hard to deny. Five to two, and I I feel bad because I love Halloween, but Freddy kicked Michael Myers' ass. Hey, you know, that's why we have this structure. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. The war card tells all. Thank you. I hope you guys can't sleep tonight. I hope you have horrible dreams and, uh, yeah. Horrible horrible dreams. I'm Kyle. I'm Drew. I'm free. Morality sucks. My favorite